When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots to come on the programme today. It's International Maths Week. Did you know that? Bricks for Kids. What's it all about? It ties in with mathematics. David Kennett tells us more a little bit later on. Remember the pitch in Maharakloon? Maharakloon Mitchells have nowhere to play. What a lovely gesture from County Mead and a young boy there with the Rathout Club. We're going to hear all about that on the show today. Carmel Harrington's in the house. You see the smile? Can you see that smile on my face? I just love her. And today she publishes her latest brilliant book and we're going to talk about it. And it touches on a very serious subject homelessness. And we'll be touching base with Pat O'Shaughnessy, our man. He's in Dundalk Credit Union today. It's International Credit Union Day and there's big prizes to be won there. But first up on the show, in her 60s, Angela Cahill was in the full of her health. Back in February of this year, she experienced flu-like symptoms and believe it or not, within days, she was dead. Daughter Katrina Flanagan spoke with me a little while ago and began by emphasising how healthy her mum Angela was. She was a very healthy woman, Jerry. Um she um had no past medical history. Um she wasn't taking any medications at all. And um on the weekend before before she passed away, um she had minded my two little ones all day on Saturday, her two grandkids. And um Sunday she had visited her um sister in uh Ballagame stuff. Um, she was visiting her because she had the flu. She was in bed with the flu, and she went down to see was she okay and how you know. And um, then Monday and Tuesday she was fine. Um, Wednesday then she was in bed all day with flu-like symptoms, as we thought. I suppose with sepsis it it does mimic the flu, so like we had obviously no idea at this stage, you know, you know that she was that she was so sick. Um. So you just thought that she had gone to visit a relative who had the flu and she might have contracted that from her. That's it. That's it. That's all we thought at that stage. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, on the Wednesday, um, my dad and my brother and my sister, they were, you know, they were looking after her very well, giving her paracetamol and all that. And she did refuse to go to the doctor. She said she'd see how she was on Thursday morning. So I went to work as normal on that on that Thursday morning and I rang my sister Helen at 8 o'clock that morning to see how things were, to see how she was, you know, overnight on that. And Helen said that um, she had developed a rash on her face 
Um, she wasn't really able to describe it, so I got her to send me a WhatsApp uh, picture of it. Um, and um, when I seen it, I was a bit shocked now, and I did get get a fright. Um, still wasn't sure at that stage. What you know, I thought maybe meningitis or something. I wasn't just sure, so I just advised Helen to ring an ambulance straight away. And I left work that day, needless to say, and um, I I went down to Virginia that day and I picked up Helen en route. My dad had gone with the paramedics down to Cavan. She was blue light down to Cavan that morning um, at half nine. Uh, 20 past nine they arrived, paramedics arrived. And when the paramedics actually arrived at the house that morning, like my mum had, she had changed into her pyjamas, fresh pyjamas, diary. She, she was fixing her hair. She um, was wondering what all the fuss was about, to be honest with you. My God Very, Almighty, isn't this yeah. hard to contemplate now what yeah, you're going really, to tell us in a moment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, paramedics brought her into the, in the ambulance and they checked her blood sugar and, and did all the other, um, you know, much needed observations. And her blood sugar was two. Blood sugar is normally four, between four and five. Um, and the paramedic said to Helen, she, he said, look, I can't actually understand how your mum is still conscious with a blood sugar of two and still so mobile. So anyway, she was blue-lighted down to Cavan General uh, along with her husband, Noel, and um, needless to say, she went into Cavan General and, you know, they, they got her into the resuscitation room, you know, straight away. And, you know, they they worked very, very hard, um, you know. Um, and um, when I went down, I arrived down about, it was about half ten when I arrived down. And there was, you know, you could tell that there was, panic and that in, in, in the ED department um, but uh, by 11 the n- nurse in charge that morning Jerry, you know she said to me she said Katrina your mum is very very sick um, she's actually in septic shock and um, I think it might be a good idea to ring some relatives at this stage Oh my God almighty and you are a nurse we have to say, you're yeah. familiar with all of this Yeah, I'm a nurse yeah that must have been unbelievable to contemplate, like what you've told us, how your mum was the weekend, during the week, even that morning. Yeah, she was she was responsive, Jerry. She was chatting and everything. Now, when we went down to the hospital, like gradually, hour by hour, she started to deteriorate. Um, her organs, like when her organs had started to fail before she went to the hospital, and that was the the rash indicated that. You know, at three by three o'clock that day, she was ventilated, and by a quarter past six, the ventilator was switched off. On Thursday the 8th. And your mum had passed away? She had passed away, yeah. <laughs> devastation for everybody, that's all I can think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely devastation, yeah. Just, like, such shock. Hard to understand uh, how a woman that was walking around doing her normal, getting on with her normal daily activities, walked into town on Monday and Tuesday. People had spoke to her. Um, you know, people had seen her on the Monday and Tuesday. The community was just an absolute, and is still in, in absolute shock over it because it was just so rapid. And it's still very fresh with you because this was earlier this year, February time, was it? February, yeah, the yeah. 8th of February. Mm, yeah. yeah, Not long yeah. ago at all. No. Um, look, can I ask you this, and you're in the health game yourself. When we hear yeah. about sepsis, we generally believe it's something that somebody gets when they're in hospital. Yes, not the case at all. Um Sepsis, um, Jerry, does not discriminate. Um, it affects young, old, rich, poor, sick and the healthy. And anyone can get sepsis at any time. Um, I suppose people with weakened immune systems, babies and, and young children and elderly people are more you know, at risk of getting it. But as I said, it does not discriminate. 
you can get sepsis from people. A lot of people think, okay, the, a lot of people actually we've spoken to in the last months have thought, oh, I thought you only could get sepsis from a cut. No, you can get sepsis from pneumonia. You can get sepsis from a urinary tract infection. Um, you can get sepsis from surgeries, you know, from appendix, yes. appendix and, you know, and you can get it actually from tooth abscesses. That's where my thought process has been. You know, you hear hospital and, you know, procedures that go on there and people get it. But no, that's not the case. You can get it if you're never near hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. Like my mother hadn't, she hadn't been near a hospital, you know, and you can get it. Absolutely. Yeah. You can get it. Um, and do you know now where she did get it from? She got it from an apparent, it was called, they called it pneumococcal sepsis. So it came from a chest infection. But, you know, Jerry, she, she was asymptomatic, you know, of, of this chest infection. And that's, that's the frightening thing, you know, that is the frightening thing. Today you're talking to me to draw attention to this. Could they have done anything for her if this was known sooner? Okay. Well, with sepsis, early intervention is absolutely paramount. Um, The goal is to identify um, and treat sepsis in its earliest stages. And for my mum, it was so rapid that, you know, okay, maybe she, she refused to go to the doctor. Maybe if she went to the doctor, I don't know. We don't know. Hindsight is a great thing. Um, like she, as I said, she did have just flu-like symptoms, so we we don't know if you know. It's it's hard to know, but I suppose for people, what what I and my family want people to know, I suppose, is the symptoms. You know, if if your loved one or anyone that you're concerned about is at home with flu-like symptoms, but not only flu, if they have a high or a low temperature. You know, you can have a high or low temperature with, with sepsis. If, your, if the heart rate is beating very fast in the chest, okay? Um, if they're fast breathing, if, um, they're, if they haven't passed urine in 12 hours, that's a huge, a huge symptom of sepsis. Huge symptom. And any, um, I suppose, mental confusion, any, um, if they're, they're acting funny or they're confused in any way, that's another symptom. If you're just concerned... You need, they need to be asking the question, could it be sepsis? And it's better ask that question sooner than later. Absolutely. Your dad, the family, everybody, I suppose yep. there are still more questions than answers from what you've just said there. Yeah, absolutely. But today you're talking to me to highlight sepsis, the dangers of it, and again to emphasise early, early intervention. Don't err on the side of caution and say, look, I'll, I'll leave it, I'll see how it goes on. Go to your no. GP, have Go a Go to your GP, it. yeah. If you're feeling very, very sick, like people say with sepsis, I, you feel like you're dying. That's how you feel. You know, mm. if you feel like that, please just... Go, go, seek help. Go to, go to your GP. Go to, go to your nearest, you know, ED department if you're really, really concerned about yourself or a loved one. Thank you so much, Katrina, for talking to us today. We remember your mum, Angela Cahill, and the tragedy of her passing. Fit woman in her 60s with lots to look forward to. Taken away, really, in an instant. Thank you for telling the story today. And I, I hope and I believe that your story and your mum's story can be very significant down the road with somebody who may be a little bit in doubt about this. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for joining me this afternoon on Late Lunch, Katrina. Thank you very much. Thank you. Frightening story, isn't it, when you consider it that Angela was hale and hearty and not a botherer and just like that, uh, this happens. So, again, just to emphasise the message, if in doubt, go to your GP or your local ED. Don't let it pass if you're worried at all. Because this can be really rapid and 
again, extend our sympathies to the Cahill family, all of them there and the loss of their mum. And they're still really feeling it. They only happened uh, back in February. And again, we do remember Angela Cahill on late lunch this afternoon. I was bewitched and bedazzled by the characters in this book. You know the saying, be kind because you never know what battle someone is fighting. Well, that is so true for every single person in this book. Tackling themes of homelessness, food poverty and vividly portraying just how easily your life can derail. This isn't a light read, but it is a read that can make a difference. And on top of that, I feel it's such an important book with such a powerful message that it should be compulsory reading. And that is from a reviewer of Carmel Harrington's brand new one called A Thousand Roads Home. And I'm delighted to say, on the day it's published and it goes on sale, she's with me on Late Lunch. Carmel, you're so welcome. Where else would I be? Where else would I be? <laughs> jammer. Such a pleasure to be here. Such a pleasure. And I also want to say, you do know, and she's here with us today because she's a particular reason. Uh, she's been with you for a while. Uh, Margaret Madden, our book club reviewer is here and she gave you Top of the Pops. You know that on she Tuesday did. for this book she here did. as well. So grateful for both that lovely review that you read out and, and for all reviewers like Margaret there who've had early copies and mm. have made today that bit more easier for me because it's quite nerve-wracking Jerry. Is it? But then when you when you get those advanced reviews in it just settles the nerves a little bit before you know the readers get to open it up yeah. in their laps. Can I ask you this? We know it's a massive issue politically sure. in this country. It's a hot potato yes. that could bring down this government. It, yes. it's, it's that serious. Where did the genesis of this come from for you? Why did you do this? Well, it should be a national emergency just Mm. to start off by saying that. But it started off two years ago. um, I started to write this and I was reading all the headlines, as we all did, about all these families who were ending up in in hotels. And and I suppose if I'm really honest, um, which I like to be, I kind of thought, well, how bad? At least you're not on the streets and at least you've got somewhere to go. And it could be a lot worse, right? But then I kind of thought, well, hang on here a minute now. I wonder, is that the case? So I I started to think about it and look into it a little bit more and I decided that I really wanted to write a story about a very normal family um, who find themselves in hard times and um, who end up in emergency housing and it's really no fault of their own you know they've paid their rent on time they've looked after their flat they've treated it as if it was their own but when it came to it when they were evicted there was just no affordable housing anywhere and and there isn't and that's the problem and so when I that was kind of where I decided to start writing about it and I really wanted to look at it um, from a character's point of view and I really wanted to explore this thing that it's never it's not always somebody's fault I know you can we can be judgmental and we can say oh well why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that sometimes there's nothing you can do and you still despite your best efforts end up looking for help and support and um, it was very important to me that I that that was the character's kind of um, journey. And then in addition to that, I've always found it difficult when I see people on the streets. And um, I always feel when I see someone, I always wonder what their story is. And I think to myself, like, there's someone at some point in time, they had a mum and a dad. And I think of my own children and I find my head kind of goes to these places they shouldn't go to. And I think... Well, imagine if Amelia and Nate ever ended up on the streets. Like, how could that happen? I can't imagine it happening because mm. we have this lovely family and life is very safe for them. But I'm sure their parents, for some people who are on the streets, and I know sometimes they can come from abusive families and that's part of it, but it's not every story. And I wanted to explore then what it might be like if you were a rough sleeper and you were on the streets, 
But again, it wasn't because you'd come from an abusive family. It wasn't because you had addictions. It was because life had turned out like that for you. Um, so they were the kind of, they were the storylines that I started with. Yeah. And then it grew from there. And, you know, it made me think, to be honest with you, about my growing up in my little family. And I, I had one sister and my mum and dad. And I always felt safe at home. Yes. I always had a roof over my head. Yes. You know, and, and I hope that my children feel the same that yes. they've had in turn with them as well. Yes. I can only imagine what it must be like to arrive at a situation like you've written about here. Yeah, and that was it. And I did a lot of research, as you, you know, because you've, we've spoken about other books. And, and in this case, it was very easy to talk to people who had gone through the experiences that Ruth and Tom go through in this. Um, but one of the things I did for Ruth's character, I wanted to try and understand what it would be like to live in a hotel room. Um, so I took the kids and kind of said goodbye to my husband and we checked into a hotel for a few days. And what we did was I packed three suitcases, Jerry, because um, I felt that's all I could manage if we were on the streets. One had toys and one had clothes and the other had our personal um, knickknacks and a few cushions and things mm. that were special to us and photographs. Um, but we got Rog to drop us off, but then I was like, no car, and I had a 40 euro budget. And I thought, let's just see what happens for the weekend. And I'm going to check in and I'm going to unpack as if this was in my home. So how would I put everything? How would I put my possessions in this room? And what struck me was when I arrived in this hotel, and it's a hotel in Dublin that is used for social housing, so I really wanted to kind of experience the whole thing. And when I went in, um, the room looked quite big at first, and I thought, this is okay again. Anybody out there with kids will tell you, or grandchildren, as you have, you know within five minutes, children fill a room. Oh, you tell me about it. Like, there wasn't floor space. My son's yes. Lego was on one part. Mm. Amelia's Shopkins were on another part. There was nowhere to hang the clothes. I had to store the suitcases in the bath because there wasn't the floor space. And really, like, what looked like an OK space that I could cope with, by the end of the first day with no money to go to the cinema or go off like, you know, and it was raining and we didn't have the car and it was all very, it began to get a little bit difficult. And what really struck me at the end of that first night, I got the kids to sleep and then I was sitting in a room on my own in the dark going, I can't put the TV on, I can't put the light on because Amelia will wake. And I was quite lonely and you begin to feel claustrophobic. So I used all of that in the story and I was very lucky because after two days, my husband picked me up and we went home. You could go, you could return to your home. But there are people but there you for know 18 something? months. Like, you did, you put yourself in the scenario. I did. You threw yourself in there, I you did. brought your kids. I did. You, you lived, you, you got a feel for what this, and you're right, you could go home. Think about the weeks the months, months, the years in some instances that people... And you know a, a, a part of this book that jumped at me? When DJ came home from school, the, the child trying to keep it from his schoolmates. Secrets, secrets. I am not living in a hotel. I have a home doing the homework. Heartbreaking, isn't it? And and for his age, because he's, you know, he's 10 and I always think that age, my daughter is coming up to that age and they're trying so hard to be grown up and be adults and um, they're, you know, they're beginning to get hormones and things are beginning to change for them and they're beginning to see the world and see themselves very differently and so I really felt very strongly that he really would not want people to know he was homeless and he struggles with that and where do you go? Like, so if you don't have a home to bring, where do the play dates happen? So, so what, first of all, you know, he has a place, he's at home and he can bring friends home after school. He can kick a football about with them in the garden. But then there's no home. You can't bring friends for a play date to a hotel because hotels don't want you in your corridors or in the general areas. You're stuck in this tiny room. So I think for DJ, it is very tricky for him. It mm. is, it's difficult. 
and and in fairness, in my story, there's just she's a single mum to one child, but quite often there's more than one kid my of dog, different ages. Yes. Look at that lady with the six children that, you know, ended up in the Garda station quite recently and then has been put in somewhere else. It is a national crisis and emergency. Was this difficult? You know, we were talking before we came on air about your remarkable uh, career, the way it's blossomed at this stage and all the books and how you're hitting all the right notes. Was this the most difficult? Yeah, I have to tell you, I'm very proud of this story um, because it was a difficult subject to kind of, um, to to, to research and get right. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to be condescending about anyone's situation, nor do you want to be preachy about it. Um, and, And I really wanted to show an accurate portrayal of what I felt it would be like for a young family to, to live this truth and also what it would be like to live on the streets because I've never experienced that. I'm very lucky. I'm very privileged. I have lots of safe places to fall. You know, between my mum and dad are still here, brothers and sisters, who'd all take me in and give me not just a sofa but a bed. But not everybody has that, Jerry. And I really, I really wanted to do justice for those people who are marginalised and who do need our support and and our care and not our judgment. And I think that we can be very judgmental. Um, I was myself, as I said, when I first looked at this, I thought, yeah, how bad? But you realise very quickly, and I did a lot of work with the Peter Mac Very Trust, and I have to tell you, they opened my eyes um, hugely. And it's through meeting people, not just Peter himself, Father Peter, who is a walking angel, I might add, but the complete team. And um, like they opened their doors to me and their hearts. And um, I got to meet people who are on the streets, people who they've helped move into accommodation. Um, I've got to be there as part of their big breakfast. You know, they do this wonderful thing every Wednesday. Mm. It was just a privilege to do it, I have to tell you. And they helped me with a lot of the parts of the book that I was I was a bit worried about, like um, Tom, the rough sleeper, he has a dog, Bette Davis. And I was worried when Storm Ophelia happened last year. I was worried about this fictional character, but he was real to me. And I was going, where's Bette Davis going? Like, you know, so I rang the Peter McVary Trust up and I said, look, you're going to bring Tom in, right? And they said, yeah, Carmel, yeah, we're used to you now thinking your characters are real. But I said, what about Bette? They were like, Bette can come too. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and I really did look at it in that detail, like what happens in storms? Where do the animals go? Yeah. And um, yeah, the Peter McVary Trust, they're amazing. Absolutely. And, amazing. and they obviously see in this book, like I mentioned in the review, like Margaret Madden mentioned yeah. to us the other day, this really hits home. It's on the nail at this point in time. We're talking about something very serious. So for them, I'd say they saw this as a godsend. Here is Carmel Harrington, famous author, writing about what we are trying to deal with every day of the week. I think it's good for them. They definitely appreciated, I think, anyone shining a light on homelessness and getting the conversation going. And so here we are, and we're talking about it now, right? And isn't that wonderful? And I think the more of us that talk about homelessness and tell the government that it's not acceptable, it's not normal, and that it is a national crisis, and it's only by discussing it out in the open and not making it be this invisible subject that we don't want to look face on. Mm. And I think that's why um, the Peter Mac very trust are pleased and look at I'm part of their team now whatever they want Uplifting important a very special book I couldn't agree more says Marion Keyes and you know that little word you have on the front the bench and the flowers it's a lovely cover may I say Thank you. Uh, Thank We you. all belong somewhere and in the book where the child DJ asks where is home and Mum Ruth says wherever the people you love are but Carmel they need to a space, a place of their own, don't they? They do, but it is. Well, I, 
I feel when I think about home, I think about my husband and kids. Mm. And I don't just think about my husband and kids. I think about my mum and my dad and brothers and sisters. And I think that really, ultimately, wherever you feel safe and secure and loved, that's where home is. Mm. And that's the most important thing. But but everybody deserves the right to have a roof over their head. I mean, Absolutely. I think that's the starting point. And yeah. then after that, we can look at all of the social and health and economic issues that we have. But let's give people mm. a roof. You mentioned the McVerry uh, Trust and Father yeah. Peter McVerry. What a brilliant man. I have such admiration for him. This book was the subject of a, a reading and a discussion uh, tied yeah. in with the McVerry Trust. I, I wanted to ask you about that. Cathy yeah. Belton was there and Raymond Keane, two well-known people. Amazing. And they read excerpts from this book. Just, just you might give us a flavour for what followed when the discussion yeah. opened up. Well, what we did was, it was such a special evening. The Peter McVerry Trust came to came to us and said, you know, we'd love to do this event as part of their Opening Doors campaign. Um, it was the International Homeless Week. So mm. not just in Ireland, but a Across, yes. across the world and they decided that it would be nice to have a literary event so in the winding stair you know the bookshop it's a beautiful bookshop on, on the quays in Dublin and um, basically they asked these actors who said yes without you know without hesitation because they support the charity um, and they came in and they did dramatic readings but we chose parts of the book that were very relevant to the conversation of homelessness. So we deliberately choose pieces that wouldn't be a plot spoiler, but that might just invite some conversation around um, what it might be like if you were homeless, either on the streets or in a, in a small hotel in emergency housing. Um, so they did the reading, which was such a privilege for me as an author to see actors of their calibre, you know, deliver words that I written. It, it was just powerful. Mm. And Jim Carroll from RTE, he was the, um, the MC for the night. And he said when the first readings were done and both um, he did, both Cathy and Raymond had done Ruth and Tom, and the last line that Tom said was Daddy's Home and that particular line that I wrote is in the prologue when I wrote that I was crying it was such an emotional prologue you know it really was and Tom's story is very emotional and and I anyhow and so Jim turned to me and he said Carmel what's it like hearing words that you've written you know delivered by these actors and I just went <laughs> and I started crying I was such an idiot I really was but look at you know I wear like literally I said to Margaret earlier I wear my heart on my sleeve yes. and so I had a little I kept it kept it good I didn't go the ugly cry but I did have a little kind of emotional moment because it was such a pleasure and a privilege to hear that and they did they they delivered they were just incredible but what was really nice we got to talk about those issues then that were discussed in the book mm. and tease them out a little yes um, and it was such a warm um, everybody who was in the room everybody there they were just so wonderful and they joined in the conversation um, and it, we had a glass of wine a little bit of cheese and it was a gorgeous evening mm. and quite frankly I want one for every book now please <laughs> you know it's just lovely you wet the appetite but it underpins what you say there what we spoke about earlier that you know when I said to you was it difficult in writing this book maybe you know when that's read back to you by somebody else yeah. in a public forum like that, then you do realise the brilliance of what you've done and what appears yeah. between these covers. Listen, I want to go back to uh, Easter time. Now, Christmas is on the way, as we I know. I know, I know. And I want to talk about Easter eggs. They think I've gone cracked at this stage, but we better <laughs> tell them what we're talking about. On the break there, we started talking about something and Carmel said, yeah, I have an Easter egg or two in this book. What is an Easter egg from an author's point of view? What it is, is that some authors, or actually I think quite a few of us, we tend to put little Easter eggs, um, words that appear in all of our books. And then readers can go on Easter egg hunts to find those words. 
And for me, there are um, there are two things that always appear in my books in some shape or form. And it's usually just one word or it might be a sentence. And they are? They are. One is um, two things that I love a lot, actually, funnily enough. One is Tato crisps. I'm fond of a bag of cheese and onion. Now, Who I won't is lie. it? Yeah, it is my comfort food of choice. And I think if the last thing I could ever eat, it would be a bag of Tato. I'll tell you one thing, I wouldn't disagree with you there. And when yeah. I start on one of those, a six pack there, look out. I'm telling you, it is just, it's, that's it. Yes. It's, that's, once you start, it's very hard to stop. Okay, so that's one. And the other is Wizard of Oz references. And um, it's one of my all-time favourite um, movies. And, and in fact, the book, the Frank Baum book as well, I read to the children now. But for me, it was the movie that I started with as a kid. Um, I didn't actually have the book as a kid. Um, but the movie, it just sums up everything that I loved about Christmas as a kid. It used to, that moment, you know, when the movie goes from black and white to colour. I'd never seen anything like that in my life as a child and it stayed with me. And so I love rainbows. I'm a bit of a rainbow nut. And when I see a rainbow, I believe that rainbows are little messages from people that have gone, who've left us. Have you ever been at the end of a rainbow? I think I have many times, whether I was aware of it, I don't, I don't know. But I used to chase them as kids. I really would run through fields to try and find them. I've been in them, actually in the end in of the, the rainbow, end. that I could actually do that round me and the multicolours. You know, you think you can touch them. That's amazing. It's there around you. And I'll tell you where it happened to me. Out fishing a couple of times on lakes where the end of the rainbow went into the lake and then we hoped we'd catch a few trout, you know what I mean? But that never happened. That was our crock of Wouldn't gold. Wouldn't that be lovely though? But I've actually experienced yeah. it. It's a weird experience. It that is. you're just in those sort of colours around. You can't touch it or feel it Love or anything. Rainbows. It's a phenomenon. So yeah. there you are, chasing rainbows. Chasing rainbows. We well, see with rainbows, you need um, both sunshine and rain to have yes, a rainbow. Yes, the combination of both. And isn't that what life is? I think life is, you, get, you need both. Absolutely. So you're busy, busy. Look, where's the list? I have it here somewhere. I was just reading it beforehand. The Woman at 72, Derry Lane, Cold Feet the Lost Years, The Things I Should Have Told You, Every Time a Bell Rings, The Life You Left, Beyond Grace's Rainbow, and now A Thousand Roads Home. You are such a busy bee. It, it is busy. Do you know what? Yesterday, Cold Feet the Lost Years was published in Finland yesterday or was it two days ago anyhow but I was doing some media interviews with magazines in Finland with an interpreter that was fun do you know what I mean so it was kind of like that was kind of bonkers and it's just funny it's all on the one week really yeah. you know an awful lot happening and f- from you know your initial work and it was received so warm look at the awards you've picked up and, and this one now you're hardly working on something else I am. I'm actually, I should be working right now. I shouldn't be sitting here with you shooting the breeze. I should be at my, <laughs> at my computer working. Oh, Carmel, come on. You can spare me a half an hour. She guess, has, of course. I have, yeah. of course. But um, no, I'm working on book eight, which even saying that out loud is, is gas. But it's what I can tell you about book eight is. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code SUMMER. It's really, um, it's an epic road trip where somebody goes searching for their famous namesake. And I've always been intrigued about that because I think all of us, there are, there's maybe somebody who's living a slightly better version of your life. Um, and so my central character is called Greta Gale and there's a very famous Greta Gale and she goes in search of her. Oh, brilliant. 
a little wetting the appetite for there the next go. one. But it's important to stay in the present and talk about this one. It's called A Thousand Roads Home. And I know you do want to give water stones, don't you? A shout out here in Drogheda. Do you know what? They just gave me the warmest of welcomes. I love, as much as I love coming into you, I always would never pass water stones And I wouldn't disagree with you there. They're amazing. And there's a couple of things. They cost me money, I might say, because when I go in, I can't not buy their books. And I went in. What I love about their children's section is it's so well, well laid out and not just for the different age groups, but for the different reading levels within each age group. So I could go in and straight away I can look for books for my son who's six but I can go to the to the section I know that's going to suit him and then for my daughter who's you know she's slightly ahead reading level wise she's almost nine um, so I managed to pick up a couple of gorgeous books there um, they had a lovely display of A Thousand Roads Home which I am always grateful for it was right at the front of the store so the signed copies there and I think there was even a bit of an offer there I noticed there was a couple of euros off the books so oh, great. happy they days are. they are just brilliant down yeah. there and uh, long may they continue to uh, bring us joy with all the books they have for everybody of every age and all tastes it's totally. there in Waterstones anyway and this one's there too and it's going to be up there in the bestsellers <laughs> and you can't miss it when you're going in the door uh, among those group there Carmel Harrington Irish Times best-selling author A Thousand Roads Home get it enjoy it one of you are going to get it this afternoon repeat the question just once more who is the minister in the Irish government responsible for housing text the answer if you want a signed copy of this brilliant book today to 086-1800-658 WhatsApp or text whichever you wish and we'll pick someone before the end of the show I'm honoured you did Aww. me the honour of joining me Stop. on the day Thank you. this wonderful book Thank is published. You. Carmel I'll Harrington. Back. I'll be back. Ah, you will indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Late September and uh, there's no problem in Maharakloon. The football is rattling along, the community not a bother in it. And one Monday morning they wake up and their pitch is gone. Well, maybe I exaggerate a little, but there's a huge part of the pitch has subsided. National, international news it made at that stage. Uh, the dust has settled because, you know, newspaper today can be chip paper tomorrow and when it goes off the agenda, it's gone and nothing is more true in this immediate world of ours. We're going to talk about it for the next while because there's a great wee story of a link between Meath and Monaghan that's going to bring people together to help the Maharakloon Club. And it's not often, is it, that Mead supports Monaghan or gets behind them. They're normally knocking sparks off each other on the pitch. Anyway, I'm joined today by Sean Egan. He's the registrar from Maharakloon Mitchells. And also with us on the show is Shane Duffy, former Maharakloon and Monaghan goalkeeper. And he's playing with Rathote in County Mead now. And we're hoping to get Roy Clark on the line as well, because he's part of this story as well. But for the moment, gentlemen, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Joey. If I could start with yourself, Sean, and the Mitchells. No need to say this just came as a bolt out of the blue, wasn't it? A total bolt out of the blue. You said in your introduction there that the pitch is slightly is destroyed and maybe that was a slight exaggeration. It is not a slight exaggeration. It is gone. The pitch will not be played on again. The two pitches won't be played on again. The community centre, it looks like, will not be used again. Dressing rooms, handball alley. Any and all the facilities that the community has had are now inaccessible and it looks like will never be used again. So 
you're out of home. You're gone. You know, we were talking about homelessness a moment ago with Carmel Harrington, the author there. But as a club, as a community, your focus is now no longer viable. You can't be there. What's happened in the interim? How have you managed as a club? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, we are, as you say, out of our homes. Uh, all of our gear, footballs, bibs, hoops, jerseys, everything was is locked behind a barrier. We cannot access anything that we have. So it's all locked in there, tied in with the subsidence. It is all locked in and it looks as if it will never be got out. Well, that's even worse than I... You know, when I think about you and the, and the, the massive outpouring of sympathy there was right around this country and beyond, that's even worse. You have literally been left with nothing. We have been left with nothing. To Just to give you... To illustrate it, there was a, a, a blitz on the Saturday and... There was a hundred young people there. And you know the way somebody leaves a jersey behind or someone leaves a jacket behind. Somebody left a jacket behind on Saturday. And, the mother, and he says to the mother, I left my jacket above at the pitch. Don't worry, we'll get it on Monday. That jacket is gone. No. That's a simple thing. So what have you done? How have you fared? Have your teams been able to play? Well, you ask about how our teams been able to play and you mentioned the rivalry between Meath and Monaghan. All of the clubs in the area have really rode in behind us to offer us their pitches to play games. The own, we had one home game left and it actually went to Meath Hill in County Meath. Okay. So that was the first example, if you like, of Meath and Monaghan uh, combining in the, on this particular occasion. So that match was played. But, you know, training continues, does it? I know it's your final yes. match of the season. The youngsters have to play, I'm yes. sure, as well. It just doesn't, you don't yeah. draw up the curtain in September. Yeah. The, the se- for us, the season doesn't I- end. Mm. Last Saturday was the first session for our under sixes, the new people starting off. So our under six, what would you call it, boot camp or whatever, started <laughs> last Saturday. We have, a, we have an indoor uh, area for them, but we had to go and get, as I listed earlier, all the different things that are needed. Mm. We are very conscious, particularly of the younger people, and it's not, we, we can't go to under sixes and say, sorry, we're not going to have uh, your a- academy this year. We had to be ready. Within a week of this incident happening, there was a subcommittee formed to identify where we might get a temporary premises. Mm. Within 10 days, a number of indoor facilities were were identified and now at this stage, we are most of the way towards getting a training area, training grounds for next spring. Okay, well, that is great news, isn't it? Have you been, like, bowled over in a way by the generosity? I I have to say, looking at the Facebook messages, looking at the texts coming in, they talk about the GAA family. Now, there are clubs throughout the county of Monaghan and throughout Mead, Loud or whatever, that when we go and play them on the field, it's less than friendly. But as soon as the final whistle blows... All of those things are forgotten. And we are totally and utterly blown over by the messages, by uh, the offers of help in whatever way they can. A GoFundMe page was set up and GAA people throughout the country Mm. and as far away as Australia have given their little bit. We got 10 euros, we got 5 euros. And in the last couple of days, uh, we got a thousand euro from Australia. 
Isn't that marvellous? A, a member of the club who is in Australia at the moment, she organised, uh, Neve Rudden, she organised uh, Come Dine With Me in Melbourne. <laughs> and people came, ate and paid... And a very substantial check has come to the club. Oh, that is great news. So that fund is rising all the time. It is rising all the time. But apart from the fund, the the goodwill, the goodwill that has come. I mean, the JP McManus money that all the clubs got. We have got messages from clubs. We'll give you some of this. We'll give you our JP money. And that has happened. And it really is... It sort of restores your faith in humanity. Oh, the GAA family and another man who's been a big part of it all his life is Shane Duffy and he's with me here in studio as well. Shane, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, this club means a lot to you, doesn't it? The Mitchells. It's your alma mater. Yeah, uh, it's it's first love, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that's where we played our trade. It's, it's, it's a surreal feeling to think that uh, that field where we... I suppose we all took for granted. It was a, it was the heartbeat of our community, like it would be for any community. Uh, your GA centre usually encapsulates everything that's good about your your local district, your local community, and it, it's surreal to think that it's not going to be there anymore. We're not going to see it anymore. It, it does pull on the heartstrings a little bit. I think it's the same for everyone, whether you're closely aligned to it or someone like myself who's kind of moved away mm. in recent years. Um, I suppose it brings back some great memories, more more so the great memories than the bad ones, and it's been a lot of both. Um, but it's it's been a great facility for us over the years, and mm. yeah, it's it's going to be sad to think we won't see it again but look I think we're all resilient I think we've all kind of got over the shock the initial shock of it now we're just looking to try and procure the new pitches for the sake of everyone for the sake of the underage teams coming through Mm. because we're very conscious of the fact Jerry that if 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 we don't get something lined up very, very quickly, and as Sean said, there's a subcommittee in place that I suppose these kids will start veering towards soccer or rugby or anything else. It'll drift maybe from more, yes. con- more convenient, I suppose, mm. because it's great to be able to go up to, to Kingscourt or Meath Hill and the other clubs even within Monaghan have been brilliant, but if there's something more convenient, I suppose the reality of it is the kids and their parents might gravitate. Yeah, we'll go there, so. and that is a big consideration. And then it, it stops the conveyor belt. You know when you get a break? In the line, you know, it, it affects down the road. It, it does, and there's been a huge concerted effort by, by a lot of people in Maracloon over the last couple of years because, you know, our senior team had great success in yes. the early mid-noughties, and I suppose the underage teams were maybe neglected to an extent, and there's been a huge concerted effort by a lot of people, and the club as a whole, to really focus on the underage, and you can see the success of the cool camps coming through, and mm. even for myself, looking at it from afar, it always kind of fills you with pride when you do see that it's probably one of the more successful cool camps within Monaghan mm. and and I suppose it, it does instill your faith that you know the future's bright 2004 yeah yeah um, you remember it well we, we would like to think there'll be more than one but unfortunately yes. um, we've, we've got one we treasure it yeah. um, and there's been a few near misses either side of that uh, some very recent as recent as last year but um Brilliant time for us as a parish, you know, we got to the final in 2002, we missed out narrowly in 03 and then we were there again in 2004, 5 and 6 mm. uh, and that was certainly the, the I suppose, the, the great period for our club as yeah. a whole and it was a combination of a lot of years hard work that was done by a lot of people for many, many, many years, a lot of names springing to mind even thinking about that mm. here and now. Um, but look, we have won, we do treasure it as a Yeah, but that's, that's your type of club, like we see it in all counties. You get your era, don't you? Yeah. And, and it doesn't last forever, and you, you make the most of that when you can. Exactly, and the most important thing now is that we work towards having a new era. Yes, and, and that's, why, and that's why this is important, what Sean was critical. saying there. And, and like when you have uh, thought processes and visions like this from under, when you think about under six, people are saying, What are you talking about? So that's where it begins, that's where the formation starts. It, it is. It definitely is, and as I said, there's been a lot of focus on it. So, and I think our underage success in recent years has been quite telling. Yeah, I want to take a short break on late lunch because we're going to talk about the retold link that you, Shane, are a big part of as well. After the break, aren't they wonderful people? 
as they say, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And I think that sums up Mahara Clune and the future. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Ah, the built to stare no stuff in Mahara Clune. There's no doubt about that. The Mitchell's pitch might have sunk, but the club is rising from the ashes. And we're talking about it on Late Lunch this afternoon with the registrar of the club, Sean Egan, and their former goalkeeper, County Star, now starring in the Royal County. Shane Duffy is with us on the show as well. Shane, look, uh, we were to talk to Roy Clark, but he's just not available to us today. But Roy's son, Victor, a little lad, he's what, he's seven years of age. Seven. Take mm. up the story. He, he wrote a letter. He did. Uh, so Victor and his little brother Nicholas are both very involved in the club at on the six on the seven level. Uh, their dad Roy is a selector with all the underage teams it seems. Uh, both himself and myself are fellow selectors with the under six team. I know Victor very well. I know uh, Nicholas very well. They live literally just around the corner from me and every time you pass the front garden they're always out kicking football uh, and I wish my own two would take up the same aspirations but maybe all in good time but um, yeah Victor took it upon himself I suppose um, he would have heard a lot about what was happening the trials and tribulations down in Maracloon uh, Victor's dad actually happened to know someone in Maracloon quite well which was a coincidental link uh, but Victor took it upon himself to write a letter Can I and read it? Can I read just it's only a short do. little thing I'm just going to read it here and these are little Victor's words himself and look at the lovely handwriting I have the letter here it says Dear Retoat GAA Club I play for the Retoat Under 7s Did you hear about Maracloon GAA pitch? Can Retoat Under 7s play their Under 7s in a charity match? I think it would help get the money for their new club I I love it. Retot are going to be Meath and Maharakloon will be Monaghan. Let me know. And it's signed by the little lad himself, uh, Victor. Well done. Isn't that just lovely? It's so he sent that letter in. So he sent that letter in. So he wrote the letter. His his uh, his father, his parents, anyway, certainly primarily have promoted. They sent it on to uh, to Sean Fitzsimons and Maharakloon. And I think Sean... Uh, was taken aback but I suppose like everyone was really and the reaction mm. was instantaneous um, it found its way up onto social media onto Twitter and since then it was uh, you know, I think everyone knew as soon as they seen it this is something that's going to it's just gone mad hey Sean this is going to be the biggest Mead Monaghan clash in years this is going to be the biggest Mead Monaghan clash ever <laughs> <laughs> and really when you when you see what Victor and his brother Nicholas and his family and the club have done I mean, no words can describe it. Mm. And at a time, uh, with time we talk about, you know, people are being sort of looking at themselves and looking in towards themselves and that, you know, we don't look and think of others. But I think this shows you that the young people of Ireland, as, as, as embodied there by Victor and Nicholas, they really are there looking and thinking of others. And it really reflects so well on their family. And then when the fact that the club picked it up and ran with it really reflects so well on the club itself. So this big match, Meath versus Monaghan, is happening this weekend. It's happening this weekend. All of those nice words I said about Rathout at one thirty on Saturday will be put to one side. <laughs> because the under sevens of Rathout <laughs> and Maraclun will take to the field. What a build up. I can feel and the tension. All of the nice words for the last while gone until the game is over. <laughs> and if you think that is good, you wait until three o'clock. When the over thirty fives from both clubs will roll their way onto the field <laughs> the Maracloon team have been in strict training for the last day uh, Shane here I think is going to play a half or is it two quarters yeah we've got a strength and conditioning coach in the show just oh, they have a strength and conditioning oh coach they haven't met him yet but they have him <laughs> 
So Shane is going to play two quarters, I think, with each team. They wouldn't last a half, so there's lots of rest. But yes, it is the biggest thing since. And the hospitals are all on standby in the city and out in two Loudmead as well, just in case. I'm only joking, there won't be a bother on them. Where is it happening? At Ratoth? Shane? Rotochi pitch, one uh, thirty on Saturday. And what are you looking for? Uh, of course, this is all to support Maharik Lewin Mitchells. Is there a contribution? Is there a pay-in at the gate? What? Um, not fully aware of how it's going to work. Sean actually, knows. Sean, Sean knows. knows. Well, the, the, the 2004 team from Maharik Lewin, okay. as I said, have been in strict training. They have also got involved in, in sponsorship. Okay. So each of the players coming will be sponsored. Right. Okay. So that's the way you're fundraising in that fa- fashion. Can people throw in a couple of euro when they're going in the gate and that as well? Yes, I'm sure. sure. Absolutely. Sure voluntary can, contribution. Yeah. Yes. And also the, the Rochelle Club themselves have been, and particularly the under-seven team and the management team around them. And and um, local companies like, like Beko, where Shane Kelly yes. is involved. There's a lot of... Yes, say hello club. to Shane this afternoon. Beko are great. They're yes. great. They really are. Yeah, a lot of club representatives have, have really kind of rolled their sleeves up and got involved. And, and look, there's a feel-good factor around it. People are happy to contribute um, so you know the club have really got behind it as well mm. and uh, we're looking forward to having everyone up on, on uh, a lot of old faces a lot of familiar yes, faces yes. So and the children want your support the children these young children you know what I mean the under sevens it's a big big day for them and, and that, those children look at that letter there they are representing their clubs they're representing their counties on Saturday yes absolutely it's a very big thing for the children and those under sevens will remember Saturday for the rest of their lives. Mm. So that's very important. It's very important. Yeah. Back to you. How imminent, I, n- I know things are ongoing and it's a moving feast with the club and new grounds and getting set up. Are you close? I know you both alluded to it earlier on. Are you close to getting a new pitch? Have you something in the pipeline? Will what? it take long? Yes. Well, well, you can't have a, a green field today and a pitch tomorrow, naturally enough. But I suppose the way we're looking at it at the moment is short term and long term. And I referred to the short term earlier in that we have identified yes. grounds, say, for training and yeah. so on, maybe for juvenile games, and then the other clubs and the county board will facilitate us for the playing of senior games. But you'll never be going back. That's the bottom line. I think too. S- we can safely say we will not be going back to your to, home, to, to that home. Mm. But we will have a new home. Yes. And we have one group of people looking at the temporary accommodation but we have another group then who are looking at the more long term and we would be very confident that we will be in a very nice new home within f- certainly four to five years at the okay. most. Okay, so it is, it is a medium to long term project to actually it get you to back be. to where you need to be. To but be. just think about that. That's exciting in another way as well. I know the day you woke up and everyone realised what had happened. You look at the, the blank page and think, what are we going to do? But you know what? People are good. Yeah. strength when, yeah. when, when adversity hits you know that yourself Shane anyway how are you getting on you're doing well in me never mind success with Mara Clune you came into the Royal County and showed a uh, thing or two about being successful um, yeah we've had a good couple of years I think it's largely been down to the fact that there's been a good underage structure mm. um, so a lot of I've, I certainly feel out of place every time I go down to training um, because there's not too many of us over the age of 30 let alone 35 Yeah, um, it's a very young team very very um, very much an up and coming team so we've had some success in recent years we won the Intermediate Championship in 2015 uh, we've had uh, Leinster 
Leinster as well, for God, of course. Massive. Yeah. My God almighty, yeah, what success you've enjoyed. Indeed, and, and look, good representation too in all the various uh, mead teams, underage and right through to senior level as well, and hurling as well. Of so course, and a great club you're with now. Anyway, boys, thanks for joining me today. Remember the day, Saturday, it all begins again, Sean. At what Saturday, time? the big game, the under-7 game, is at one thirty In Retoth. Give them your support. They deserve it. But for the moment, Sean Egan, registrar with Mitchells and ex-player and now retote Shane Duffy. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. List to conference centre, the place to be tonight. The band is showbud, dancing 9 to 12, supper served and everybody welcome as usual. We spoke to Katrina Flanagan about her mum who died suddenly with sepsis back in February at the top of the show. And you've sent us a number of messages. Want to read a couple of them? Jerry, my mother died from sepsis in A&E within five hours of admission in 2016. Again, the symptoms were vague, although she was disoriented and had a very high temperature. However, having got doctor on call the previous night and an emergency ambulance the next morning... They diagnosed the hospital bug and advised paracetamol and fluids. At 6 o'clock that evening, we dialed 999, but by then it was too late. She died at midnight. Uh, we had the medics. What chance did we have, says a late lunch listener. Shocking, really shocking, isn't it? Another one. Hi, Jerry. My pregnant wife had sepsis in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. The midwife noticed a spike in temperature and my wife was put into ICU. The midwives, head of midwives and head doctors in Our Lady of Lourdes saved my wife's life. And I'd like to give them all the thanks from my heart for their help in a very tough tough time. Nice message that there and that one ending well and well done to all the medical professionals professionals in the hospital there. That's week this week. We're going to hear about Bricks for Kids and how it's linked into the numbers game in a moment. Bricks for Kids large scale Lego or what? David Kenna is the educational officer with Bricks for Kids and he's on the line to enlighten me. David thanks for joining us this afternoon. No problem Jerry. how are you? I'm very good what I said there, is, is is that it? Is is it like Lego on a large scale? It is. So, well, basically, we teach the concepts of science, technology, engineering and maths to children between the ages of 3 to 14 using Lego and Lego Technic and the younger kids would use Duplo. So that's basically how it all works with ourselves. OK, OK. So it's of different sizes. There's the small, you know, you know, I know Lego from years ago as a child. You're talking about yeah. that, yes? Yes, but we have quite complex builds. So it's the Lego Technics and then the Lego brick that you would have as well. And we have different degrees of difficulty mm. of all of our builds. So we're all about challenging the children. Do you know that kind of way we want to keep them challenged and keep it really fun? Um, hands-on, minds-on learning is huge for us. Yeah. So when, if we're the likes of our in-school workshops, we would always follow the ethos of we learn, we build, we play. So they're learning all about the science, the STEM concept behind what their build is, and then it's all related back in into when they're actually building our Lego tutors would be there to support and develop the learning for them that way. Okay, so science, technology, engineering, maths, which STEM stands for, yeah. is the basis of this. And it's it's all helping build children's, you know, uh, knowledge in that area, you know, uh, trying to direct them towards those areas for the future, maybe for work? 
Definitely. Like STEM is an incre- like integral part of the Irish economy and it's mm. set to be a fundamental part of Ireland's success in the future. So children learn as they play and and but more importantly, like they in play, they learn how to learn. Yeah. So that's where we come in. We really like ignite a fire in children to, you know, hopefully show them different career paths that STEM have, you know, also take away, um, you know, a lot of people just think STEM is for boys, whereas using Lego, you know, like it's completely taking away that stigma and girls get involved. Of course, and that's a big thing, isn't it, to get more girls into this area as well? Huge, huge thing. Mm. Um, So, yeah, taking away that stigma because it just puts everybody on the same level field. Do you know that kind of way? Mm. Now, you mentioned schools, so uh, it's something you you go into schools with this and give modules. Are you part of a regular teaching process in schools or are they sort of one-offs? They can be both. So at the moment, we're incredibly busy because we're in the middle of Maths Week, um, celebrating Maths Week um, in Ireland. So we're doing one-off workshops. So we go in and we do a one-hour workshop and again, we follow the ethos. We we learn, we build, we play. Um, The guys are actually learning about clock towers for Maths Week. So they're going, they learn about that, you know, a clock is actually a measurement of time. They learn about 3D over 2D. They learn about um, different shapes, angles, and that's basically how we get it. And then we also, in their play aspect of it, we encourage them to make variations of their build. And then if they add in weight, what's going to happen to the clock hand? It's going to go slower. Why is it going to go slower? Because it's weight and loading, and um, that's basically yeah brilliant um, yeah. yeah I like it I, I really like it and I, I see where you're going with it besides schools where else so besides in school workshops we have our after school programs so they obviously run after school so the children go in for an hour we also have computer game design and coding in, in our after schools and they're in Dundalk uh, RD and Drogheda and then we have birthday parties as well and we also work in creches and then obviously our Halloween camps that are coming up so okay. in our deep and Drada. Yeah, so across the board you're targeting children. What about for older children, adults? Is there anything, like it's bricks for kids, but sure, there's an awful lot of us still kids at heart. You know what I mean, David? Definitely. No, we have bricks for biz. So that's where we will go into different companies and we, again, it's all about logical thinking, critical thinking skills, um, innovation getting people to problem solve, listening skills, communication skills and building trust and teamwork. So we do have that aspect of it as well, which um, is very popular. Mm, so business, corporate, team building, that type of thing, yes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So and then for older children, as I said, we do have like robotics and coding and game design mm. for the older children as well. This is an international franchise, yeah, that somebody's brought to Ireland. Am I right there, yeah? It is indeed. So it's a franchise that started off in America um, and now um, Carl Fitzpatrick is the, the man who brought it to Ireland. We, he is the master franchise for it. Um, we have six different franchises. So we've North and South Dublin, we've Wexford, Louth, Galway and Donegal. Um, and we're actively like recruiting new um, franchises at the moment. Okay, so there's an opportunity there if somebody's listening maybe in me, the surrounding counties today to get in touch with you uh, to see what the, this is all about. I, I know it's really taken off and, and I can tell you I, I know uh, children who've partaken and they love it. They love it, David. Oh, it's it's so much 
it's so much fun for them. It's, mm. You know, the children go in and it's all about building the relationship between STEM and bringing it back to real life for them and building that relationship in there. You know, they go in and they're playing with Lego. It's low tech, but yet the learning outcomes that come from it is just absolutely fascinating. You can go into a classroom of 20 children and it's all loud. It's all really highly stimulating. But when they're in the middle of their Lego builds, the classroom just becomes so quiet because they're so intensely concentrating on what they're doing mm. and they just have a blast. You know, and it's the same with the camps, the birthday parties. Across just, the board, yeah. Yeah, mm. they, and because they get to see their sense of achievement after, you know, challenging them with the Lego and then their sense of achievement that they get from it. Like, it's spectacular. I love it. Thank you for joining us on the show. Good luck with no this problem. special weekend for the future. Thank you, David. Thanks so much, Jerry. Bye-bye. Not at all. Take care of yourself. David Kenner there, Educational Officer with Bricks, the number four kids, K-I-D-Z. It is really fascinating. Low-tech Lego. Meccano, do you remember that? Oh, my God. Yes, low-tech brilliant get back to it i keep saying it all week get back to the basics anyway up next on lmfm radio it's paul mcginnis with the drive join him fantastic music and banter see you for your final late lunch of the week tomorrow friday half one take care the late lunch with blackstone motors drahada your local renault selection dealer with over 250 quality used cars in stock there's always something for everyone at blackstone motors check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.